Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Katie Stock. This programme is brought to you in association with the magazine that I write for, Premier Christianity. If you'd like a free sample copy of the latest issue, head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Today on The Profile, I'm, I'm speaking to church leader and author, Christy Wimber. Christy, welcome to the programme. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so lovely having you here. I'd like to really start at the beginning and just ask you, what are your first childhood memories of faith? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, uh, I have glimpses and uh, uh, remembering early on in the Quaker church because I came from the Quaker church. So I remember um, going to church and I remember um, it was a real church that we would call because so many churches, especially vineyard churches and and free churches have a lot of uh, warehouses. So the Quaker churches, real church, what I mean by that is they had pews and that they had um, these little um, chairs um, just for the children's ministry. So it goes way back for me that I remember times like that where we'd go to church. And what do you remember in, in your home life about faith and, and the role of faith in your upbringing? Yeah, I mean, it played a, a, an important part. My dad was great at it and where he would kind of play a bit where like Sunday nights we'd go to church and if we remembered what the sermon was about then we'd get ice cream after church so you know sort of like a good incentive yeah a good very good incentive and the answer was always Jesus like every week (laughs) Jesus Jesus it always worked (laughs) and do you remember the kind of faith that your parents had yeah my parents are are strong believers always have been and um since I can remember they got saved in the Quaker churches as well, um, and um, and so yeah, they are believers and raised us as that. And so you are uh, married, and married to Sean. Can mm-hmm. you remember when you first met him? Well, Sean and I actually grew up next door to each other, so um, I don't remember. Sean remembers me actually as a baby. That's <laughs> kind of creepy, um, but he remembers me as a baby because of again being in the Quaker church. But also, he's a bit older than I am. Uh, so he does remember me and growing up and everything. But I don't remember um, seeing Sean until and really seeing Sean, you know what I mean, yeah. that actually got my attention until um, I was older. So did you play together when you were kids? No. Okay, so your parents... Like, He's 10 years older than me. 10 so years yeah, older. So yeah, it would have been Ill, yeah, illegal. He wasn't interested. <laughs> it wasn't, it wouldn't have been right. He wasn't that interested. No, so. uh, and rightly so. Okay. Yeah. And so how old were you when yeah, you, you kind of caught your attention? Um, I was 19. Okay. Yeah, I was 19. And he had just gotten saved, and I had just actually come back to church because I wasn't really going to church um, through my um, teen years. It was kind of like off and on, not really going. And um, But then, yeah, Sean got saved, came to church. We saw each other, and that was kind of really it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so how would you say your like relationship dynamic is cuz i think some different couples have different yeah. different ways of doing things yeah i think because we've been married um 28 years now um might, that might be wrong cuz i'm the one that always gets it wrong <laughs> gets it right um it might be 29 actually but his um i think uh it has changed throughout the years like if i really think about our roles together in ministry um like when we first got together i said if you go in the ministry i'm gone I will not, I do not want to be in the ministry. And I think I always had a fear of that's where I was headed. And, um, and I just did not want to do it because, um, I, although my parents, um, and role models and raised I saw a lot of things in the church in general where I was just not interested. Um, and so I think when we started out, I was very anti all of that stuff. But I was involved with ministry because, of course, I married into a family that was, you know, the, the vineyard. And so, you know, my, I, my family was a part where the vineyard started. But as that grew, of course, I mean, I'm married into, uh, you know, the, the family. So, mm-hmm. um, and so that was always a part of it. So we worked in the ministry, but I wasn't really into it, to, to be honest with you. But I would imagine you had a... In having um, John and Carol Wimber as your in-laws, yeah, um, a real model for what, yeah, um, mar- m- um, marriage. marriage within you know, a ministry family yeah. looks like. Like, did they give you advice? Yeah, I think so. I think throughout the years, they, I think they were very good at not forcing things on us, 
Um, but I also think that they were um, good at, John was very, very good at putting us in the right place. Um, and he was very strategic in that with with us. And so I think he, he was just wise. And he, I knew, I felt like when it came to me, John actually knew what I was good at and what I did not want to be a part of. And so even when we would travel our first trips over here in England, like with HTB and all those early trips of the vineyard, um, uh, all the conferences, everything, that's what we did. And so, um, you know, we were a part of it. Um, but I would be like the one that would be like, okay, I'm done now. I'm, you know, I don't want to go out. And um, But he was very, didn't force, you know, like you have to be at this, you have to be at that. I think that was very helpful for me because I think that would have been a very big turnoff. And I imagine partly the attraction, why Sean probably was attracted to you in that you weren't wanting to marry into his family, if yeah, that makes sense. I, I think so. I think probably he was more attracted to my sense of humor <laughs> <laughs> because I found everything funny, and, and I still do, actually. I find most everything really funny. And um, and so he might have. I mean, I mean, there were several things, and I think it was just sort of an instant, you know, sort of connection. That was probably part of it. Mm. Yeah. So, Chrissy, you've recently been through quite a difficult season mm. in, in life. Do you want to just share a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, to be honest with you, I feel like the last, I don't know, three or four years have been quite difficult. Um, and I'm still in it. So I, ha- I keep waiting for, like, turning the corner. I was telling a friend of mine the other night. I keep turning, I keep turning around the corner thinking, okay, uh, surely this is going to be over. Um, but that's just not the season that I've been in, and some seasons last longer. Uh, I do believe that we serve a God of season, so I, th- I know that the difficulty type of things that we're going through hopefully will lift on some level. Um, but we, yeah, I mean, we've gone through many things in ministry, uh, and then, you know, personally in life, in our family, and just things that, that I've gone through uh, physically and my husband's gone through physically that have been quite serious. And so, um, and that's just after the, I did a book, you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, um, yeah, it's just definitely been a whole deal the last few years. And how how would you say that this period and the period that you're still in yeah. has, has changed your faith? It's definitely changed my faith. It's challenged me in ways that actually I've never been challenged in before. That's why I don't believe you say, um, you know, I've been through the worst thing. No, because when you say that, usually the worst thing is waiting at the door. So, um, I mean, I hate to sound so down, but I just feel like this is this is life, this is battle. Plus, when you're in ministry, um, you know, at the end of the day, when you're in ministry, you're on the front lines. And so if you're doing anything productive, the enemy's going to do whatever he can to stop you. And so I think that it's challenged my faith in ways that um, that I didn't know that I was going to get challenged in and um, and other ways that I'm still getting challenged in. And I keep thinking, okay, this is going to change, right? And it hasn't changed yet. Um, but definitely where my faith has been challenged in the area of hope. So, you know, faith, it's our, our faith that actually gets tested, right? Um, but I don't think the world's looking at our faith. I think they're looking for hope. And so I think that's the thing that's really gotten challenged in me is not losing hope in the midst of, you know, my faith. Like, I trust the Lord. I know the Lord's in control. I know that it's not over until it's over. Um, But carrying hope and not losing hope in the midst of it, that's been a challenge for me. Yeah, that is such a challenge, I think. And do you think that, um, I guess it's not a huge shift, but in some ways quite um, like a realignment, does that change how, as a pastor, you interact now with your church community when when they're in the place of hopelessness? Um, I think so. And, I mean, one of my transitions is that, you know, with the church, that I made a massive transition with my church recently. So I think in walking that out, um, you know, they're, they're watching how we handle this. They're watching how I respond, how I talk, how I'm living. Uh, they're watching all of those things. And so um, whether, you know, I'm preaching or whether we're going through something difficult or they're watching all of it. So I think it's very important that um, that no matter where the stage is, is where I'm ministering, is that that's always in the back of my head, is that everybody's watching at some level. Yeah. You know? And that can be a huge pressure, but also a great opportunity yeah. to live quite prophetically in, mm. in a way. And, yeah. Um, where just your very life is, is a, almost a prophetic act. Yeah. Well, it is, actually. And I'm, you don't pick those things. I think those things pick you. 
And so my life has been very prophetic in so many different ways and pioneering in so many different ways. So I would think of myself as a pioneer because so many things that the Lord's had me do. Um, and and definitely prophetically. And to, to be honest with you, to have a prophetic type call is a lonely call because the prophetic is not um, always popular. When we think about the prophetic, we think of, oh, I want a word and I want to, yeah, that's the good side. That's the building up. That's the encouragement. That's the comfort. Uh, but the the true prophetic of actually really calling things out is the word that actually calls us out of complacency. Mm-hmm. And so those things are tough and they're hard to hear. And oftentimes God will have me do that. And with my life, have me um, make decisions that I'm making that actually are prophetic, that, you know, are, are before it's time a bit. So my church has done that, done that in the area of worship. I've done that again with my church. So I think um, that is part of the call that God's placed on me. And that's a message um, that I saw you, you shared with the Pioneer Network here in, in the UK, kind mm. of that challenge of um, not doing what is popular on, yeah. on the Christian scene but kind of really uh, digging down into what has what is God calling us to yeah. do right now not what the church on the other side of town is doing but what is what is God right here right. calling us to do and there takes um, a level of bravery to um, kind of tune out the noise and, and yes. really kind of set our eyes on him to, to get that yes. focus doesn't it? I think so and I think um, to be honest with you I think through the years that grows um, and I think especially what I've done in the recent times uh, with church, I I had so many messages, like unbelievable amount of messages from people saying, Christy, that's so brave. That's so brave. That's so brave. You're just so challenged me because it's so brave. But in my mind, I'm not thinking, hey, I'm going to be brave here. Like nobody wants to pick that. And, you know, a lot of times in that situation or the things that God calls us to do, they're not popular in the moment. It's almost like we heroes people that make a difference in life they're not looked at as popular until later till after it works so a lot of times i feel like i'm called to do things and then people are like oh you know kind of a bit nervous about it and then they see oh wait a second the lord actually is on this and i think over the years i've built up an equity where now if i do something bigger which is what i've just done um i have way more trust in the church at as a whole um, because I've built all that equity throughout the years. Consistency builds equity. And so I think that I've been able to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that I hear perfectly, and that doesn't mean that what I'm going to do is going to be perfect. Um, but I do feel like it builds into a confidence of, okay, well, this is what the Lord said, I, I believe, and I would rather risk that and, and, and then be right. And yeah. I would rather risk that than my reputation looking perfect. And I would rather... Because uh, I'd rather obey him, and so if I miss it, you know, then I'm learning another thing. Mm. But I think it does build into who I am, mm. and as an example to other people, which is important. Yeah, that sounds like the kind of thing you might want kind of cross stitched on on your office wall or something. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know well, what I, mean? I keep yeah. Well, I have realized now because I've been in ministry so many years, I'm thinking this is probably my call in a lot of different ways. So you kind of just have to you know surrender to it. Yeah. Yeah. You um, have referred to the fact that, that the modern church doesn't have, um, well, some parts of the modern church don't have a developed theology of suffering. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? I mean that in the last uh, several years, probably, I don't know, six, seven years, that I'm in so many different f- events and festivals and all kinds of different things. And it got to the point where I was, I felt like I was going to different festivals and I just felt like it was a testimony, you know, deal instead of pulling out the word and actually really talking about life and what life really is. I'm all for the testimony, but if the testimony actually alienates other people that are really going through difficult stuff, I have you know, a problem with how we do it, how we've handled it. And I felt like the last several years, how we've handled that has been poorly. Mm-hmm. And so in that, we've also um, eliminated the idea of suffering because suffering's not popular. And so, you know, it's sort of like we have to get to the point like conferences you know, life is not played out on a conference reel. Real life is hard. And real life is painful at times. And real life is so difficult. Sometimes to even get out of bed in the morning, especially to show up and do ministry. I mean, you know what I mean? So I think the reality of understanding, I think God actually does his best work in us. I say this with, with much trepidation, but I think, I think God does his best work with us when we are suffering in different ways. 
Yeah. Yeah. And when we look at scripture, that that brings true, doesn't yes. it? Yeah. yeah. And so I just, I've, I've not seen it modeled very well, except in a couple places that I have a lot of relationship with that I feel like, man, that's that they're really understanding the importance of recognizing our weaknesses, recognizing that we so fall short and that this life is not perfect. This is not heaven which is part of what I was seeing, mm-hmm. whether there's no theology for suffering. And this is heaven. There's no theology for suffering. And so we actually leave out really everybody. It's not just a few. We leave out all of us in that uh, because we are going to go through difficult times. We are going to pray for people and not see them get healed. We are going to lose yeah. people that we love. And so um, the church is most powerful when we're ministering to what's in front of us, not the ideal idea of what we want to minister to. And so you- like the vineyard is um has a real ministry of um of healing and and the prophetic amongst other things yeah so where does this um kind of uh acknowledgement that this this is not heaven we get a glimpse of heaven now and and what jesus achieved on the cross and and all of that victory how do you think that fits in with um healing ministry in particular yeah most definitely i think it does well the vineyard i mean i think for the vineyard we actually land in a place with the already the kingdom the cross and then the second coming of christ so we live in the already the kingdom of what christ has done but then the not yet of what's to come and so I think I believe in the kingdom breaking in, which means we, we are looking for what the Father's doing. That's what Jesus modeled for us. And the kingdom breaks in, we recognize it, and then we bless it. We get behind it. Because if you get behind God, that's what works, right? Mm. And so I think for us in the, in the vineyard and, and many other places, that is our theology. I think now with the internet, and so many things, which is a, a good thing and also a thing that can be hurtful, is that everything is crossed over. That denominations are becoming less and less in lots of different ways, right? And people are getting fed from all kinds of different places. Like they're just watching whatever they're wanting to hear. And so um, with that, you have so many different theologies and you have so many different... So people, I don't think a lot, at the end of the day, a lot of people even know what they believe. Yeah. And so um, I think for us in the vineyard, we have this belief system of the already and the not yet. And I see it in many different places. And we could be wrong. So it's not like we actually are right. I just believe that in Scripture, um, suffering is such a major point that Jesus has used over and over and over again with all of his greatest leaders that he gives us models to um, that they had to walk through. And if it was... If that was good enough for them, and that's what they, then that's obviously what we're going to be walking through. That's what Jesus gave us the blueprint for. And it's not an either or. It's not either either. we have um, healing and God's glorified in that, or we have suffering. Because actually, um, God is God is also glorified in our suffering. And when people die well, yeah, I think I I, I don't think I've ever personally. seen more kind of faithful discipleship yeah. than in seeing watching friends die well yeah. i um, love that la- i love that language actually Katie. dying well is really really important and i think actually people around us um like if i pray for somebody and they get healed they're gonna be excited about it and uh, you know i think it's great you know but to be honest with you when i have lost people that i've loved or what i have been through in the last four years and what people that don't know the Lord watch me, that's actually what gets their attention. They're watching that. So the fact that I actually love Jesus and the fact that I'm actually persevering, um, trying to do my best through all of this, um, you know, difficult things, um, I just think that the witness of that is really honestly what people can identify with. Because pe- people can't identify with our strengths. They definitely cannot identify with our, with our language in the church but they identify with our humanity. And I think that's really important. And I think it's really important that God, like death is a part of life. And so teaching people, and this is what I believe. I believe as a leader, especially uh, with a pastor hat on, my job is to teach people the, the kingdom and to teach people how to live well and give their life to that. But also my job is to teach people how to die well. And so there's times where I have to walk people through dying well. And, and doing that with your family and doing that with the people that you love and giving people a chance to grieve. If you have no theology for suffering, a lot of that is missing and the damage is, is, is massive when there's no theology for suffering and there's no theology for hardship. Yeah, that's really helpful. 
And did you just suddenly make this shift or would you say that this shift has happened gradually as you, uh, through your experiences or you know was there one moment you thought oh hang on I, I've With got the suffering mm. well nobody's like hey I would really like to you know <laughs> I mean I think definitely um yeah the Lord takes us on journeys in different areas um I you know I'm kind of known in different things for you know have Christy come pray for the sick and all that great if that's what God's doing great um, but I did get to a point where I just felt like, wait a second here, like I'm not a showman and th- th- what I'm doing, um, I don't want it to hurt the church. I want it to equip the church. And, um, and so definitely where the Lord is getting my attention in one way, um, by seeing things and walking through it personally. But then also, um, most definitely I felt like the Lord was, was shifting me, brought different people into my life that, um, have, really shown me um things that i've needed to see and sometimes uh in that um i think god does this where he brings people into our life that they just sort of hold a mirror up to you and what you see is you're like oh my gosh and that happened to me and so i think in the midst of that when god does that we have a choice to you know to to run um, or to actually really look at it. And when I really looked at it, I realized, wait a second, some of this stuff is really unhealthy. This is not healthy. It's not healthy in me. It's not healthy in how I'm operating. I don't think it's healthy for my church. I don't think it's healthy for the church. And that, so definitely the Lord, I definitely the Lord, but then also the Lord using other people. And that's really honestly what has shifted me more. Hmm. That sounds quite like, like a mentoring relationship, would you say? Um, yeah, well, yeah, we laugh about that because, yes, I would say, uh, yeah, mentorship. I mean, I would call it mentorship. I'd call it sisterhood. I would call it um, just healthy relationship of having um, people in your life that are farther down the road than you, which is very important. And the important part is that I humble myself and say, wait a second here. See, I think it's really important that even if you have things in your life that are going really, really well, that you're actually willing to lay that stuff down and sit under somebody else's wisdom. And that's really honestly what I've been doing, is that, yeah, I've this done this, I do this, I love this, but let's put the brakes on some things here. And actually, I'm just going to sit under somebody, somebody else's wisdom here, and I'm going to learn some things that I need to learn that are outside of my world, outside of my comfort zone, most definitely. Um, but has been very, very rich for me and grown me up in ways that I probably would not grow up otherwise. And it's been very, very, very good for me. Wow. Not easy, <laughs> but good. And the the, the other side, side of it, relationally, because I think God brings people into our life that it just goes to that level where they they mentor you in different ways and speak into your life in different ways. But the the thing that I feel like God's blessed me with is that I love these people and these people love me. So I think that when when there's when love is involved in the relationship in a deeper way, then it is it, it even goes broader, and I think that's a gift from God. Hmm. And so you, you were yeah describing where um, you were kind of seeking the wisdom of yeah those who have gone ahead of you. Yeah. I would imagine that because of your your ministry um, and the name that you carry, you have a lot of people at the beginning of their ministry wanting. Yeah wisdom from you to mm. sit under when you say your kind of canopy or umbrella like you know learning from you how do you work that out in a way that's not draining that is in a, a healthy dynamic yeah I mean well I mean I obviously can't do everybody right so um but I I definitely feel like there's different layers and I'm actually stepping into more where I'm doing that on a on a deeper level because I so believe in the local church and so I want to actually do that more and more where I'm training and I'm, you know, helping with church planting and I'm doing more, um, very intention and intentional with all of this. Um, so I have different layers where I'll meet people and I'll be like, okay, Hey, you know, why don't you contact me? You get stuck. You have a question. Why don't you drop me a note? And I'm happy to help you. Then I've got other things where I meet with different, you know, girls and kind of chat about where they're at, kind of help them get from A to B to C. So that I do that quite a bit. Um, and then I do it on the other level with leaders, you know, and then I do it on another level with, you know, other big events and all that. So I'm very intentional with it. 
and then I just kind of see what those categories fall into. And then I'm just sort of shifting again right now anyways with training for church planting and raising up church plants. So I think that um, because I so believe in the local church. Yeah. So I'm making that a huge part of my life this next season. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. And I'm, I imagine you have... I guess the, the capital in order to be, be able to, I mean, like the kind of social capital to be able to affect that change that, and, and bring about that passion that you're respected yeah. and that people want to come and learn. Yeah, and, and I think that's a huge privilege, isn't it? I, I think that gets built over time and, again, what you've done and what you built. And so I didn't go into anything building things thinking, oh, hey, I'm going to you know have a voice. But if you want a voice, you got to build something. So I think that's honestly what's happened you know mm-hmm. i've built things through the years they you know god's blessed it in different ways and so if if i can help other people especially to be honest with you what i didn't have is what i want to do for people in the next season because i just feel like i had no support system in so many different ways like people think oh wimber oh vineyard you got no uh, honestly some of the time it's a blessing and a curse um because people think oh you got this you can do this you're you know and it's um and so they're hesitant to kind of help you so i actually didn't have the support i needed and i'm sure the lord allowed all of that so that i could see what i wish i had so that i can give that to other people and now it's very clear for me no actually i want to give my life for that because i want I don't want other people to have to go through some of the things that I went through that I think are simple fixes um, if I just had the wisdom and the knowledge back then, which I just didn't have. Oh, Chrissy, that's so encouraging. Well, that brings us to the end of part one. So um, do join us again in a moment to hear more from Christy Wimber, and we will be right back. It's 500 years since Martin Luther hammered home his message that kick-started the Protestant Revolution. In the October edition of Premier Christianity, we ask what exactly did the Reformation do for us, featuring leading voices on both sides of the debate, a dialogue between a Catholic and Protestant on trading places, and a look at the women who influenced the movement, plus interviews with Christy Wimber on why she chose to close her thriving charismatic church, the family who have instituted tech-free Sundays, and stories of faith behind the bars of an immigration removal centre. Ask for your free sample copy at premierchristianity.com slash free sample. The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Katie Stock. This programme is brought to you in association with the magazine I write for, Premier Christianity. If you'd like a free sample copy of the latest issue, head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. And today on The Profile, I'm speaking to church leader and author, Christy Wimber. Well, welcome back, Christy. A lot of people, you, you, you talked about this in the first half, but a lot of people don't know that the, the roots of the vineyard are in the Quaker mm. church, and that's the church that you grew, grew yeah. up in. When you look at the movement today, are there traits of that heritage that you can still see? Yeah, I, definitely. Um, do the people know that those are the art? Probably not. That concerns me, because you have to know where you come from. I think that's very important. Plus, we're a young movement. Um, but yeah, definitely Quaker values. And I just need to say, Quaker over here is a, in, in England is a bit different than Quaker in the States. Okay. So when I have said, you know, Quaker, it, it, sometimes people's eyes go really big. It is different than it, how it is Do you want to explain those differences? Well, I don't know all the differences, okay. to be honest, except to say that I need to say that it's different. Okay. In the States, I, it's, I know it's very healthy. It's not, it doesn't have any sort of weird, you know, kind of attachments to it in any way, cult or otherwise. I think that's very important to say. It's a very healthy movement. And I know the leaders quite well still and um, hang out with them even. So um, they're just a really lovely, lovely movement. As in regards to what we have in the vineyard, um, our, our, our um, roots are definitely Quaker roots. And so our care for the poor which is, is a big thing for us in the vineyard. Compassion Ministries is very important. Um, in fact, you know, early on, John said, you know, if we don't care for the poor, we're in big trouble. We need the poor as much as the poor need us. Like that is our, mm. it's a big call for us. That's so in, 
even me and my husband, like that's such a huge part of our life, huge part of how we did our church, huge part of how we minister. Caring for the poor is very important. And uh, worship uh, was foundational in the Quaker church. I didn't even learn that until a couple years ago when I was at the 100-year celebration, um, that worship was such a big part of it. And obviously for us, worship in the vineyard has, um, you know, from our roots and how we started and what we were part of and all that. Um, and several things, as in just how we um, were not really big on titles, that's really carried on into our movement where, you know, you can go around the world today and people don't really care so much about being called, you know, so-and-so, even pastor or whatever. Like, I had to get over a lot of those humps, even just in leading, so to speak, that, you know, being called a pastor is okay and being called, you know, certain things of what you're doing is all right. Um, especially in today's day and age when everything is, you know, apostle and prophet and all of that. So John was very much the, eh, if you're doing it, then you're, then you, you know, then you got the title and you've got the title and you shouldn't have to tell everybody you have the title, you know? Yeah. So I see that all across the world, actually, that is definitely a part of our Quaker roots. Do you think the kind of, uh, Quaker tradition of being, um, having the freedom to share what you think God is telling you and um, having the freedom that everyone will listen to that. To me, that sounds very much like the vineyard where um, what you hear from God isn't um, mediated through your church leaders. There's not a total free-for-all, but there is in in some respects. um, That space is created for individual gifts and um, hearing God's word. Yeah, I mean, the Quakers were called the Quakers because they quaked, like the Holy Spirit came on them. Uh, a lot of Quakers don't know that. A lot of vineyards don't know that. But that is the, the foundation of the Quaker movement as well. Hearing God and actually going for I think that probably the language is a bit different. I don't think we even really knew that those were Quaker things because we were actually kind of blessed out of the Quaker movement for, you know, moving in the gifts and the Holy Spirit. We were blessed back in a few years ago, which was quite remarkable. It was a beautiful ceremony. But I think um, hearing God and following God and all of those things, um, I I never knew those were Quaker things, actually. I always thought of that as being taught that that was a normal way of, of your Christian walk and you don't have to go through somebody else. You can just go to Jesus yourself. Yeah. So I grew up on that. Yeah, and uh, you... you your eyes lit up when you said how you know you'd um, been hearing about your the, the roots of the vineyard yeah. and um, how you almost seeming concerned that a lot of people aren't aware of their heritage. Yeah. Do you think that that's slightly an age thing? That as you grow older, you care more about where you've come from. Yeah, I mean to be honest with you, I think I've always had that because I, John's my father-in-law has been gone for twenty years this year. That's a long time, actually. And, and when he died is when we actually, I was like, we've got to make this, all of our stuff, we've got to care for our heritage, we've got to make sure that, that all of the generations follow, we've got to plan for at least a couple hundred years. So I was doing that then. So I think that's always been in me, where we've got to plan, we've got to care for, we've got to protect. Um, um, I think that that's very important. I think you've got to plan that, you know, far in advance and preach that way and sow that way and give that way. So um, it's important to me that people understand what they're a part of and where they come from. Um, because if God's called you into a certain movement, you want to know why God's anointed that movement because that's where that's where you'll be blessed. That's where the anointing is going to be. So I think that's very important that we operate in that way because we paid a high price to actually leave what we were already in. Mm-hmm. So it's important to me. Yeah. So, Chrissy, you um, planted and led the Yorba Linda Vineyard. Mm-hmm. I hope I said that right. Yeah, that you did good? actually. Very, very well. <laughs> um, and that was a, a church in the same city that the vineyard was originally yes. um, founded. Yes. But that church has since closed. So uh-huh. you've closed the church. Can you explain to me a bit what about that? What you did yeah. and, and, and why and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, so, I mean, it was a massive transition. So this is when we speak a little bit about prophetically about this is where I was like, oh, this this one I don't want to do. It was very difficult. It's one thing to actually close or change something that has that's not working or, you know, but that's not the case here. The case here that we were in massive transition again. And for over two years, we were looking for somebody to come take the church. We could not find anybody. And I had taken on working with Vineyard U.S. helping with church planting. And I was like, why is it that we actually don't have a bullpen, which we call that in church planting, for other people to come in it to actually take churches over? 
we don't have that, but we're planting 750 new churches. So my brain's like going, you know, like we've got to build this because this is what we need. So I'm walking through all of this. Um, and at the same time, we can't find anybody to take the church. And the Lord had spoken to me and said, your assignment here is done. And so I knew that that was, but I also knew that it was very important that I did not leave um, before I was done. And so, um, or I knew it was important that I didn't leave before I was done, but also how I finished, I needed to finish really, really well. Because as a pioneering church, um, it's made a massive difference in the city. I mean, our outreaches and all that, we had 26 outreaches going. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an organization within an organization. And, um, but the Lord made it really clear to me that we were going to have a massive transition. And, um, and I kept thinking, well, of course the Lord's going to bring somebody in. Of course the Lord's going to bring somebody in. And we just could not find anybody. And at the same time, we had gone through a massive transition where, where in the States, it's, it's kind of really crazy, but we got into this building, put a quarter million dollars into it, got everything set up. And the, the week after we got in, the landlord tried to evict us because we redid everything. So we were leasing to buy. And um, just in the States, you can actually sue and try to, you know, kind of do those kind of things. And you have to, you have to defend yourself right or wrong. You have to defend every accusation. And I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of accusations. I think I had 10, 10 lawsuits. So I, all I was doing was defending myself and defending the church. And I'd come out back, I'd come back into town and that's all I was doing. I was like, this is not what I've been called to do. This is not what we're called to do. Who cares about a building? Um, it was just a nightmare. And, um, and so it was one of those things that I will never understand. Actually, it was one of, it was so unjust where, you know, I was doing what I was doing for free for the city and so many different things. And there was so much just opposition and winning the lawsuits was nothing because she wasn't going to stop. And so um, I just had to walk through this whole thing of trusting the Lord and asking the Lord what to do. And so we made this massive shift and got out of it and just rebuilding at the same time, kind of looking for another building that we could not find. So I was looking for another building, couldn't find anything. My husband started getting quite ill with his back, started getting digressing quickly. So I knew that actually us getting another building, which would be our ninth building, if not 10th in 11 years, he could not really be a part of. And I, we made a decision going into this, like that, that is not, this is a family deal. This is not. And, um, I'm like, Lord, if you're not going to give us a place, I don't know what to do. Um, because if we keep doing what we're doing, I know that this is not you. Like we, we completely shifted the day. We completely shifted how we were functioning and it was just not, not us. And so I knew that we were at this transition phase, but I felt like the Lord said, I will tell you, I will tell you, I will tell you. So that was a two-year deal. But my husband digressing wasn't until the last six months. And so, um, so, I was out of the, so I was out of the country. I was actually at Spring Harvest. And the Lord spoke to me really clear. I felt like the Lord was very clear and said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to hold a celebration. I want you to celebrate what I've done the last 11 years. I want this to be an, a, a thing that is honoring everything that, that the people put their hands to. And then I blessed. And how many people got saved or delivered or came to the Lord or got fed, cared for, whatever. And I want it to be a celebration. And this transition will be a model for leaders where they actually need to learn how to finish well when their assignment is done. And that... Um, and. Uh, I just want you to know that this is me and gave told me some other things in particular. So I was very clear on it. I was like, I don't get this. I don't understand this. This is not what I want to do, but I do feel like this is the Lord. So this is one of those prophetic things like what we're talking about where making, hearing that, but then also walking it out and realizing if I do this, I have this whole church here of people that have been so faithful and, um, and that are, are going to have to be on board here. So I went home, I met with my board, you know, it was emotional, but they all said, we really feel like this is the Lord. Because at that time is when my husband started really digressing physically, um, that this is the Lord. You've got all these other hats, you know, this is, this is not a time for your family for this. And, um, we really feel like the Lord's not opening any other doors. And so, uh, 
at the same time, I felt like the Lord said to me, if you stay and if you do this, I will bless it, but it won't be my best for you right now. And that was kind of even harder because I thought like, Lord, like that makes it even harder because you know what I'm saying? I'm having to walk through. Yeah. And what a father like yeah. thing to say. That's what we say it's to very, our children. Very loving. Yeah. Um, and because my heart is there, you know, and those people and I love them, even though I knew I was done, I love these people. I've shepherded these people, quite a few of them for a long time. So, um, so told my board, told all that. Then I had to gather all of my leaders, this massive group of, of people. And I just said, you guys, and I broke down what I said and everybody just started, there were just tears. I mean, there was all of this, but it was phenomenal. So I just going to say, probably never going to be able to walk through something when I saw that night. And what I saw was as a leader, which you rarely get is that one after one after another person just kept going around saying, Christy, we got, this is where I got saved. This is where I got healed. This is where I got delivered. Other people saying, now we know, we know what to do. Like you've taught us what we're to do. Like we're fine. This is the Lord. Like we don't understand it, but we trust you. And we know that this is, this is probably the Lord. So you cannot get that many leaders on the board at the same time and the Lord coming in so much power. So we got in this massive circle, held hands, just saying and, and worshiped and thanked the Lord for our church. It was beautiful. And it was just one of those things where I just felt like this is actually healthy. Like this is healthy. Me actually trying to keep doing something that's kind of wearing me out that I'm getting, you know, um, that the Lord is changing my season is, is not, is not healthy. So I feel like walking that out, getting lots of counsel in the meantime, you have to understand this, lots of counsel, um, is that it was just beautiful. And then we held a massive celebration. So I thought it wasn't until like the day of the celebration that I thought, okay, I, I could be really wrong here because one, this is my reputation on the line. Like if this is not the Lord, I'm going to know today because it's not just, it wasn't just all the leaders. It was all the people in our church. So we did all of these things of visiting all the groups and getting to all of the church before we did the final celebration. So everybody heard it. So it kind of, you do it well. And the celebration was just phenomenal. Like I had a friend of mine come in and do it for me and we celebrated the church and we celebrated what God's done and they honored us and our family they prayed for our, all of our, our family and our kids and everything. And um, it, it gave them an, a chance to thank us, and it gave us a chance to thank them. And we just thanked the Lord for what he did all those years. It was beautiful. Wow. wow. And that's such such the opposite of what we see so often in, in church yeah. leadership because church leadership is power. Yeah. And, and as humans, we we have a lust for power yeah. that we see in ourselves and yeah. try and give to God, you know. Um, but often I think l- leaders, because they're human, try and grip hold onto on. that, hold yeah. onto it. And um, and that means that they don't leave well because yeah. they leave after they should yeah. have. Um, and so, yeah, what a, what a, a lesson and, and a, an example for other leaders when they know it's so. not quite the right time. What I also really love about that is that you sometimes I think we think oh, all the circumstances need to be absolutely right yeah and sometimes that's that's not no. the case you pray for the obvious and when that doesn't happen then you have to shift how you pray and that's yeah. really what I did I mean obviously we kept groups going because you have to trans people are in trans you know transition and people are dying and you know all kinds of things are going on with families so we kept groups going and I said that you know listen give me a couple months let me pray the Lord said he'll speak to me so we've been we've done that we've gone through that the Lord has shown me I'm probably going to you know plant some more churches and do all of that so that's great but I needed to walk that out well and it's been obvious that it's been the Lord but yeah. walking through it was not easy no. and it, that was very very high risk and did you speak to other local church leaders about pastoral oversight? I had several leaders in the city come and ask for my church. Yeah. I've never I've never had anybody come and ask for my church like that. But they weren't in the vineyard and it wasn't it would not have been fair to the people that I'm pastoring. So um, so it, it wasn't it wasn't right. Like other denominations, you know, you send somebody in to take over the church mm. and um whether they're fit or not. And I really believe that God calls us to a place. And, and that's how we operate in the vineyard. So I just thought that would actually be unfair to the people. Yeah. But I did have several pastors ask me for my church. So, so interesting. Yeah, over a coffee, a yeah. polite conversation. No, that's, that's what happened, yeah. 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 
It was in, very, very interesting. Great. Very interesting time. Well, Chrissy, you, um, you've written a, a book called Transformed. Where did the basis of this book come from? Well, I mean, it had been many years in, in, in the, you know, kind of thinking about it, being approached many, many years ago, and just not really wanting to do it, to tell you the truth. But the Lord, again, just shifted me, said, this is time, um, and started speaking to me about certain things. Um, and then one day she sort of laid out Romans 12 for me, which is one of my favorites, but laid it out to me in a way that I had not seen before. And once I began writing, I realized this is actually t- touching on so many things um, that I'm seeing around the world today in the church and so many struggles that people walk through. And um, and I just didn't realize that. And so when I began writing, it just began to hit all of those things and it just began to unfold. So it was definitely an organic um, thing of writing that was just, again, I think prophetically in different ways. Yeah. And that's how you knew it was the right time, despite being asked soon. Yeah, because I didn't want to do it. So once I knew that it was the Lord and I kind of surrendered to it, it just all just, you know, started coming out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that you've got some quite strong opinions about social media and you kind of alluded to them earlier. T- tell me about these. Are you on social media? What are your thoughts on I them? am on social media. I love social media. It's not that I don't love social media. I love it and I hate it because I love it that the world is small. I, you know, so many people I love dearly are around the world. You know, it's one of the hardships of what I do is that, that I don't live by people that I'm very close with. And um, so I love that aspect of it. I love the aspect of um, uh, being able to learn and be informed in different ways that we couldn't before. Like, I love all of that. I love being able to see what God's doing in different places around the world. But just as anything that's great, it can also be something that's a stumbling block. And so I think I think in the culture, what it's fed is that definitely, especially with the church, that it's fed celebrity culture and it's fed um, the idea that, you know, that you actually don't have to go to church. You can actually just read church. And um, so that I think it's crippled us in ways as the church. And those are the things that I have a problem with it. It's not. And I think it's more actually of the glamorizing where it does, you know, people kind of see somebody's life and seem, you know, think that it's perfect because they only post the highlights of their life. And um, and so those are the things that bother me. But the other side of it is, I I mean, it get, it's a great way to keep in touch with your friends around the world and, yeah. you know, things like that. So, yeah. yeah. And encouraging, um, you know, Christians in, yeah. who are quite isolated as well. Can that's be another thing that's really great about it. Yeah. Incredible thing. Yeah, it's like anything else, isn't it? It's sort of like there's some negatives and there's some positives. Mm. So that's how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. that seems pretty balanced, yeah. balanced to me. Yeah. Um, you've said that there's a, a struggle in maintaining what God has anointed the vineyard for. What What do you mean by that? That there's a struggle in that? Well, I don't think it's just in the vineyard. I think it's just everywhere. I think it's more as in, um, I think the enemy will always go after what God's called you to. The enemy's always going to try to shut down what has the most potential to change you and what has the most potential to change the people around you. That's mm-hmm. just the reality of life. The enemy is always going to go after that in you. And so that was what I would call what you're anointed for, what you're gifted for, what you're called to. Um, and so I think to to maintain that, you have to be on it. Because I think that the enemy will always try to shut that down. So I think that's not a vineyard thing. I think that's just a believer king okay. thing. And when you uh, think about, you, previously we were talking about the, the history of the vineyard. What are the kind of key aspects of the history um, and the heritage that you have that you want to, you think are, are, are integral to your DNA rather than just of the time that you um, are really keen to um to continue you know to be honest with you like that i want to continue so this to be honest i do not think of myself as a vineyard person i think of myself as a kingdom person so and i'm in so many different movements around the world now so i and have been for so long that i i will put a vineyard hat on but i put on lots of different hats and i just think of church like i love the church um and so i think some of those things are so ingrained in me as in who I am and how I operate and how I minister and how I do things because that's how I was raised and that's how I was trained and all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully, like I said, with the other relationships that, I, that I'm growing in different areas that I wouldn't grow otherwise. I think for me, as in um, what I think are valuable, 
or the things that um, that I think are are important to follow the Holy Spirit and what God's saying and let God lead you and trust that and don't overthink things take lots of risk fail all the time I think those are good values actually I think it's getting an education I'm not talking about morally of course I'm talking about just taking lots of risks and I think that in ministry I think that in life I think that's really important um, and I think the balance of the word and the spirit is very important like that is um, I think we've ten- we've tended to go one or two ways drastically I don't think that's healthy but what I would actually like to see with the vineyard is that 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 I was you know brought up in that was very important is that it was the whole church and I would like to see the vineyard get more involved with the whole church again um, and not just talk about or do the kingdom advancing through the vineyard but that the mindset the kingdom advancing through the church yeah um, because that is our value um, and that's what I would like to see more of around the world. Yeah, and I know the vineyard in the the UK. That's a real value of theirs. And um, when I've been at um, new wine events, yeah. they've just said, you know, at the vineyard, we love you guys. And, yeah. and that it's not um, God has placed us in these places, but yeah. it's not um, to the, at the expense of you guys. God is doing something great as, yeah. as well. And I think that just so demonstrates. Um, the gospel in in yeah, that moment, so. doesn't it? And I, if I think about uh, Vineyard, to be honest with you, especially when I'm over here, I think of um, HTB, I think of New Wine, I think of Soul Survivor, I think of um, the Anglican Church, especially um, the C of E. Um, I think of all of that as our family, very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, the Char- Catholic Charismatic. I could just go on and on, but those those places are very very important to us, especially new wine in the Anglican Church and HTB. Very, I would think that's actually my family. So this is us together. This is us advancing the gospel together. So I love that mindset, that thinking, that planning, that building. Yeah, yeah. how encouraging. Mm-hmm. Christy, thank you so much for for um, coming in. And thank you so much for listening to The Profile. And it's been with me, Katie Stock, and Christy Wimber. You can listen back online at premierchristianity.com forward slash The Profile. You can also download the podcast. Join us again the same time next week. Coming up next is Dave Rose with Premier Playback.